Welcome to Buy the Books, the podcast helping business owners navigate the complex world of business, tax, and bookkeeping. Now, to the owner and president of Secline, Lindsay Klein. Thank you for joining us, everyone. This is Lindsay Klein with Secline, honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time and your host of Buy the Books. I'm here today with Robert Gralla, who is a certified public accountant and a certified fraud examiner. And I just found out today, a comedian. You do comedy. I did not know this until today. Yes. So, <laughs> Well, if you saw some of the tax returns I did, you would see the comedy. <laughs> so I have never heard of an accountant being a comedian. That seems like an oxymoron. How did this even come about? Well, it's kind of interesting. It's interesting how I became an accountant in the first place. I mean, I've always had an interest in business. And many, many years ago, when I was registering for my first college class at Queens College in, in New York City, um, there was a very, very long line in this big, giant room before we had computers. And it was a very, very hot day. And of course, the air conditioning wasn't working in the day. Oh, fun. Day. Yeah. So imagine a hot, hot day, 90s, humid, long lines going out the door. So what I did that day, and no air conditioning, and what I did that day for registration is I found the shortest line in that room, okay? And when I got to the front of the line, I figured out why it was the shortest line. <laughs> I was going to say. It was for accounting majors. <laughs> Hence, 30 years later, I'm still doing accounting work. <laughs> so you and I had lunch a while back, and... I mentioned that I was wanting to put together an episode about meals and entertainment. Yes. And you that just got you started, and you gave me a wealth of knowledge about yes. that topic. Okay. I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. When you said meals and entertainment, I thought you meant for me to entertain, and you meant IRS regulations for entertainment. <laughs> oh, okay. I think we might need to postpone this meeting for a later time now. I think you're going to provide us with both. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much confusion about this topic. Yes, and probably is. because the IRS changes it every year. Yes. But you is. came prepared today. I think you need to show the camera okay, this my, book my that book? you brought with okay. you. Now, now, first of all, I need to say this before we start, actually. Okay. Okay. What we're going to talk about is not tax advice. It's just a general tax discussion. Okay. If people need tax advice or more information, I recommend they speak with their tax advisor. And I need to say that. So this is not tax advice, just a general discussion. So don't sue me or Robert. Yes. Oh, don't, even, don't even, don't even. Well, if they do, my, I, my brother-in-law is a great attorney. Oh. Okay. There's a so book. this book, and for the people that can't see the video, it's a book. Uh, this, I don't. This is probably what four inches thick. Yeah, about four inches thick, which is maybe one one hundredth of what the tax code actually is. So, and this is just twenty twenty one tax law. Twenty one twenty twenty one tax law, but that's also based on all of the previous tax laws with the twenty twenty one changes in it. So, in other words. If you're talking about meals and entertainment, it doesn't go through all of the years of tax law, but it just tells you what's available for, it's actually for doing 2020 tax returns. Ah, This book okay. is a J.K. Lasser book, Your Income Tax. And uh, people go to me, why do you use such a simple book? You're a CPA, you got access to tax laws and everything, because this book is so easy to read and it's non-confusing. When I worked in an accounting firm, I brought the book in with me, and people asked me the same question. Why are you using such a simple book? We have research. We have tax manuals. I go, because this book is very good. 
by the end of tax season, half the staff was using this book. <laughs> and I Great remember book. you saying back then, I don't what year was oh, that? Oh, I was just joking. I said, uh, back the first book I got, I've been doing this for a while, was 1920. And the book was only this thick. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. And you did maybe a half an inch with your fingers. Yes, so yes, it's yes. grown from about a half an inch to about four inches. Yes. That's how complicated book, our tax yes. law has become. Oh, it's become very complicated. I forgot we're also on, on a podcast or a radio type show. So I need to be more uh, expressive when I'm doing hand motions and things like that. Oh, Thanks that's for okay. The <laughs> but if okay. anybody wants to see the video, we're on YouTube. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, over the years, the tax law has become very complicated, as we all know. And every time uh, Congress wants to change the tax laws, us accountants, CPAs, and tax preparers, we just cringe because we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there was a cartoon that explained this many years ago. There was a, a, a tax preparer sitting at a desk with piles and piles of paper, and somebody walks in with a bunch of books piled in his hands and said, forget about all that. The laws just changed. And <laughs> Yeah. So, so you know, you <laughs> That's know, it's about right. It's interesting. You know, medicine doesn't change that much. I mean, what's a, you know, illnesses, diseases, sicknesses don't change. You know, except for you know the advent of things today like like COVID. But illnesses and things don't change. So it's but tax laws change because they're man made, and what could be a tax law today may not be a tax law tomorrow. What you right. didn't have yesterday could be something today. Right. They're all man-made. Well, and here's the thing that gets me too, is recently it seems like it's become the fad in Congress to change things for prior years at, in the middle of tax season. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. So they, it could even change after the fact. After the fact, which makes it very confusing. It does. Very, very confusing. And also it's difficult to do tax planning when they change everything into the tax year after the fact. Right. We can plan for it. But the IRS gives you a little bit of leeway when it comes to things like that as well. So it's not So that as bad. we're talking about the meals and entertainment, I guess we need to be very specific. We probably should talk about 2020 because people are still working on 2020 taxes, yes. but also 21 mm-hmm. um, because people will soon be working on that Yes. with the, the asterisks that all things are subject to change. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you see... A big change came about in for 2018. In 2017, they passed the Jobs Rick Act, and I don't remember the whole name of the act. They have these fancy acronyms. And what they did is they temporarily changed the tax regulations for 2018 through 2025. And going back into 26 in the future, it's going to go back to the to the old method of of ent- meals and entertainment. And it's easier to make temporary changes to tax law than permanent tax changes. And if the temporary change is good, then it's easier for Congress to enact it into a permanent tax law. Um, The biggest thing they did with the change from 18 to 25 is employees are no longer allowed to deduct business expenses as an itemized deduction. When you say employees, you mean somebody that has a W-2 Yes. And does not work for themselves as a contractor or a business owner. Exactly. Okay. You're an employee and you get a W-2 form and you have unreimbursed meals and entertainment expenses. So normally you can take that as an itemized deduction if you itemize. It's it's a miscellaneous itemized deduction. With this temporary change, they did away with that. You cannot deduct that as an employee. So as an employee, your only recourse then is to get reimbursed by your employer. Yes. There's a couple of ways that employees there's basically let me let me take a, a giant step back. Let's build a framework, then we'll then we'll divide up the framework into okay. separate components. Basically, you have a corporation, you have someone that's self-employed, 
and then you have an employee. And the way they handle business expenses are different. Corporation basically takes their business expenses and they can and they they either they pay them directly to the vendor. In other words, they provide meals for employees or they uh they they spend money directly to the vendors. They write that off on a corporate level. Okay? A self-employed person is very similar. They file a Schedule C. Um, they write that off on a business level. An employee can't do that because they don't own the business. They need to write off their meals and entertainment expenses um, as an itemized deduction. However, now you can't do that as an employee because of the temporary change in the tax law. The best way for a company and an employee to handle that is something called an accountable plan. What that basically means is when you're an employee, you give your employer a weekly, monthly, daily, every six months uh, um, uh, receipts and uh, receipts for your business expenses, and they pay you 100% of what those receipts are. The company gets to deduct those expenses, and as an employee, you don't have to include that as income. That's called an accountable plan. The company sets up the plan. You give them a expense report. The company reimburses you for the expense report. company deducts it. You don't have it as income. Some companies used to do, and they still do, they'll give you a blanket amount for employee expenses. So let's say I work like for a company. Like a per diem or a car allowance, something like that. Exactly. So let's say I'm an employee working for a company and I go, Robert, uh, we're going to give you $500 a month. You spend it how you need to spend it for meals and entertainment. Well, guess what? They deduct that. Uh, the company deducts that. But I have to include that as income. Mm. And then I itemize to take those deductions. So, I can no longer itemize. So that's not okay, a good method. Okay, so you're saying that if they give you a blanket car allowance or meal allowance or some sort of allowance as an employee, you have to claim it as income, but you can't deduct the expenses. Exactly. Because the temporary law says you can't take that as an employee business expenses. But you still can submit receipts and get reimbursed, and that is not income. Correct. That's under an accountable plan Okay. where you submit the expenses, you get reimbursed. Under the non-accountable plan is they give you a blanket amount, you spend it so as you wish. So is it the receipts that makes the difference, submitting the receipts and the expense report? Yeah, it's the receipts and the expense report being submitted to the company. So that's the difference between it being income or not income, well, taxable income. Yeah, it's 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 the general way the plan is set up. Okay. Um, it what that means is when a company has an accountable plan, their employees are accountable to the company for their expenses. So let's say I had a hundred dollars for meals and fifty dollars for other transportation fees. I submit the expense report with receipts, everything's detailed out to the company. So on my expense report, I give it to the company. And this is per IRS regulations. Company gets it, they write me a check, they get the write-off for it. I don't include that as income. Whereas on an under an non-accountable plan, the company just says, Robert, here's five hundred dollars for the month. Here's $200 for the week, and that's your expenses however you wish to spend them. That is a deduction for the company, and it's also income to the employee, employee. to me. Okay. There's a difference because I'm not accounting to the company for it when I'm just given a blanket amount, and I spend it. And if I don't spend it all, I get to keep the rest. So is that true for everything you said from 2018 to 2025? That's that's what the, the new law is. Well, I, actually – 
Kind of, sort of, okay? And in tax law, everything is going to be kind of, sort of, because okay. not everything or fits into depends. the... Yeah. That's been the tax law before the change, okay? The only difference now is when you have this non-accountable plan where the company gives you a blanket amount and you spend it as you need it, you cannot deduct those expenses anymore. So it's all going to be income to you. That's the only difference between with the new tax law. Okay. Gotcha. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Then there's the... Third method, the third method is the company reimburses you for nothing. You have out-of-pocket expenses as an employee. Now, let's say you're an employee and you work for a company and you're doing sales, then they don't reimburse you. You take a few people out for meals and you do other things such as that. Use your own vehicle. You don't get reimbursed. And you now you can't write that off because you can't itemize those deductions. Wow. Yeah. So the best plan is to have an accountable plan. Now, if you're self-employed, okay, you write that off on your business. So similar to like a corporation or even a partnership. So I'm a self-employed CPA, okay? What happens is I take out clients. I want to earn their business. I'll take them out for lunch or for dinner. Or I use my automobile and things like that. Now, because I'm self-employed, I just write that off under my business name. And I don't have to, I don't, I mean, I have to account for it in a sense because I need to have the receipts in case I get audited by the IRS. I need to have the receipts and good bookkeeping procedures says you should have receipts for everything. But as a self-employed person, you automatically write it off under the name of the business. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So let's talk about the deductions for meals and entertainment because that keeps changing. And I know there was a recent change mm-hmm. where some Meals used to be 50%, but now you can deduct them 100%. Yes, that's correct. Um, Because of COVID, they want to uh, help the restaurant industry. So for 21 and 22 tax returns, the government is allowing you to deduct 100% of restaurant meals, whether you eat the meals in the restaurant or their takeout. So those restaurant meals are now deductible at 100%. But that's temporary for, for 21 and 22 So I actually pulled up the actual description that they use for restaurants versus non-restaurants. So I was going to read that real quick. That's great. So under the term restaurant, it means a business that prepares and sells food or beverages to retail customers for immediate consumption, regardless of whether the food or beverages are consumed on the premise. A restaurant does not include a business that primarily sells prepackaged food, not for immediate consumption, including grocery stores, food stores, beer, wine, liquor stores, drug stores, convenience stores, newsstands, or vending machines. So that's some of the clarification about what would be deductible at 100% versus 50%. But you're saying though the 100% temporarily is just for 21 and 22 expenses, correct? Yes. They may extend that further. You know, that's to be seen, but it's just right now temporarily for 21 and for 22. Now, how has entertainment changed? What's the new regulations about that? The new regulations for entertainment is zero. No Starting from what year? I believe starting from 18, the deduction for entertainment is zero. It used to be you take somebody to a baseball game, you can write off the cost of the tickets. It used to be you had a golf club. You can write off the cost of the fees for the golf club or even a round of golf. You could write that off. No longer can you do that. It's zero. So if you belong to a golf club, you can't deduct that as a tax uh, deduction on your return. However, if you entertain a client there and you have a meal 
that's deductible. You can't deduct the cost of the fees for the uh, golf club. You can't deduct the cost of the round of golf. Or if you take someone to a baseball game, you can't deduct the tickets to the baseball game. But if you have a hot dog and a beer or a soda, you can deduct that. That's deductible. So prior to 18, <laughs> it was 50%, correct? percent for- Since 18, entertainment is zero. Zero percent. Cannot deduct it. Yes. Do you recommend that business owners not even include that on their financials, that they pay for all of that personally, or should they still include it on their business financial statements? Well, it's up to each business owner because technically it can be considered a business expense, but the IRS is not allowing you to deduct it. So you have a business that has income as expenses, and you can include that as an expense. And then when you do your tax return, you take that out of your tax-deductible expenses. There are a lot of other items, though, that are not deductible for tax purposes that business owners you know, write off, right. le- legitimately write off a business, and you just make adjustments on the tax returns for those items. As a side note, just on the bookkeeping, from a bookkeeping perspective, (laughs) um, this is the difference between financial accounting and tax accounting. Because you're going to have financials for your tax return that are going to be different from your your books. Exactly. And it's good when you have an account. I don't know if you do this or not, but as as bookkeepers in our company, we have a reconciliation to reconcile the tax books to the the accounting books so that we know if there's a difference, there's a legitimate reason why. Exactly. You, I don't think any good accountant or any good tax preparer will prepare a tax return and not take into consideration the differences between tax income and book income. You have to, you have to do that. And um, the meals is a good example of why, because on the tax return, it's only going to include 50% in some cases right. on your your financial books, you're still going to include the entire cost of those meals on your financial statements. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, accountants were very detail-oriented. Bookkeepers are very detail-oriented people. And we go through everything with a fine-tooth comb. And we look for things like that. I remember, like, when my kids were growing up, you talk about being detail-oriented. I give them their allowance. I made them show me receipts where they spent their money from the prior week so I can give them the allowance again for for the current week. That lasted for about two weeks until my kids went on strike. No chores. They said, Dad, keep the allowance. No chores. And, okay, I need to back off a little bit with you guys. It's the accountant in me. I can't help it. Okay, how many people, when you go to a restaurant, I know this, we're going off track, That's actually, okay. they look at the bill and, and, and decipher the bill and see what, what's on there. I mean, there are, sometimes there are charges or they divide up sales tax sometimes between liquor and food and the way they do different things. I'm sitting there with my calculator one time, okay, going through the bill, and people are looking at me like, what, are you crazy? <laughs> Just pay the stupid thing. <laughs> I, I was more of a more of a curiosity thing, how they how they analyze, how, how they do their bills, how they do their billing. Then, I mean, I'm sure the money was right, but I was just more curious on how they did their bill. So let's talk about this from an auditing perspective. To okay. protect business For owners. Accounting. That, well, there you go. Um, to protect business owners that might down the road get audited. What uh-huh. kind of documentation do they need to have to legitimize their meal expense and that, their entertainment when it a, was deductible? That's a very good question because I've been there with clients while they're being audited by the IRS. And I bet this is an area where it gets looked at very carefully. Very, very carefully. For example, I was once on an audit, just to give an idea what the IRS has the the power and the capability to do. 
I mean, but it's not every auditor. It depends also who the auditor is. Some people might be more lenient within the IRS rules. It may not be. It also depends maybe what side of the bed they got up on in the morning. <laughs> really, I, I kid you not. I have talked about that before <laughs> because, you know, the, the auditor, they're coming from their background and experience and they're not mm-hmm. always CPAs. And they're human. Too, right, you know, you right. know, you might walk in there, you might say something wrong to upset them. So there's a certain amount of gray area. They may not give you that gray area, but basically, what what you really need to do is you have to have what they call a good set of books. So what is a set of books? Books is basically your financial transactions for the year, what your income was, what your expenses were. Income on one side, expenses on the other side. Income on top, expenses on on the bottom. That includes money going in and out of your bank accounts, money going into your money being spent from your charge cards, money being paid for your charge cards. If you have a checking account, the money going into the checking account, the money coming out of the checking account. Every possible source of income and expense has to be included on your set of books, so to speak. Now, let's take, for example, you have um, your meal expense for the year, okay, on your set of books. The meal expense could be from charge cards. It could be from writing checks it could be from drawing petty cash whatever the source is so you analyze the meal expenses and each meal expense you should have a receipt for okay somewhere either scanned electronically i agree file cabinet (laughs) everything should be able to be backed up to the pretty much to the penny now even if it comes to paying rent okay if an irs auditor comes in they're going to want to see your lease because they want to know how long your lease is for they want to know how much your monthly rent is, what's included with the monthly rent. They'll want to see the actual, uh, if you get a bill for the landlord each month for the rent expense. And they'll want to see some form of payment, whether it's on a credit card, a check, or whatever have you. So you got to be able to legitimatize the expense by showing a receipt. Now, let me ask you this. Because yes. I've seen people keep the credit card receipt. But no. not the itemized receipt. And nope. I always mention it. I'm sure people think I'm a total nerd. I'm like, nope. oh no, take your itemized receipt. Is that important? Oh, very important. That's that's probably 75% of the battle right there. So if you're only going to grab one, grab the itemized receipt. Exactly. You need to have to prove that what the expense was for. When you show that you paid the expense, that doesn't mean it was a business expense. Doesn't say what the expense was for. Could be a personal expense. The IRS wants to see the actual receipt. So how do you prove, even if you have the itemized expense, what would you recommend business owners do to prove that it was actually a business meeting? What's required is this. On the receipt or on a piece of paper or some documentation, you can do it in, in a journal that you have, a diary. For example, I have a business meeting with a, with a prospective client or with a client. So I, what I do is on the receipt, I write, make sure the receipt has a date, the place that the restaurant, the place where the meeting took place, the amount of the bill, amount of the charge, and you include on there who you met and the purpose of the meeting. So I'll take the restaurant receipt and I'll write Mr. and Mrs. Jones, possible future tax work. And that's what's needed. Or Mr. Smith, work on uh, estate planning. And that's what's needed. So you need the receipt showing the date, the place that the meeting took place, the name of the restaurant, the amount. And then you put on there who you met with, what the business purpose was. If you're a salesperson, now you want to write off meals for us as a salesperson. The sale does not have to be, um, it doesn't have to go through. Okay. You meet with somebody for a prospective sale. You want to sell them, you know, a hundred thousand widgets and they go, sorry, your price is too high. We're not going to do business. You still can write off that meal. And don't forget 
when you're writing off their meal, that includes sales tax. That includes the tip as well. And also don't forget transportation to and from the restaurant, the mileage. So I'm in my office and at noon I have a meeting with Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Smith down at some restaurant in Dallas. So not only can I deduct the cost of the meal, the tip, the sales tax on the meal, but the transportation from my office there and back. And that, that should be all be included. I mean, you would account for the meal separately than your automobile expense, but don't forget the automobile expense as well. So the client audits that you've gone through, mm-hmm. where I suspect the client didn't keep all of her seats, how does the auditor, auditor normally handle those situations where there's not a receipt to substantiate the cost? Okay, that, That's a great question because, again, it's kind of subjective to the auditor. For example, I had an audit where I met at the IRS building over in Farmer's Branch. And there was just so much documentation I could bring with me. I had all the bank statements. And one of the things I brought with me were a six-month worth of rent receipts. And I figured if there's six months worth of rent receipts with the exact same amount each month, the bank statement showed from January to December the same exact amount paid to that same party, they would accept it. And the auditor said, we're only going to accept six months worth of rent receipts worth of your rent expense because you don't have the receipts for the other six months, believe it or not. So the rule of thumb is bring everything and everything. I would have a receipt for every expense that you're deducting on the tax return. Other auditors, for example, I was able to produce like from January to November, in the middle of November, all of the the meal expenses for, for my client, the corporation, and the rest of them I could not produce. They just did not have them. Maybe they weren't turned in. And they were expensed. And I just said, listen, I have most of this, most of it here. I have from January to mid-November. And on their bank statement and credit card statement, it showed the restaurants, which were very similar to the restaurants we had the receipts for. The auditor accepted that. Okay? So they they gave us a little bit of leeway with that. But the rule of thumb is have a receipt for everything you're expensing on, on your tax return. Okay. That's, I obviously no, am agree. a big proponent of documentation and i even like to use a phone app where i can snap a picture of the receipt and it goes straight into my accounting system exactly so that helps a lot because i don't have to necessarily keep the physical receipt it'll always be there in my accounting system in the event that i'm audited so there's a lot of technology now yeah no harm no foul doing electronic uh, because the IRS keeping. will accept. Yeah, they'll accept um, that. They'll accept pictures. They'll accept scanned copies. Yeah, so, you can always print it out as well. They'll, they will accept that. And that also helps because receipts, they'll fade over time. Yeah. So what does the IRS do in those instances where you provide a receipt, but it's faded and you can't read it anymore? Consider it as not having a receipt. Really? Yeah. So it really would be important to keep a digital copy. Yes, very important. I mean, I have receipts that faded over a few years. Um. And they can come back, what, seven years later? Well, normally, it's the statute of limitations is three years for a tax return, three years from the filing date or the extended due date. They can go back seven years if there's tax fraud. Ah, okay. That's where the seven years come from. So for most people, it will be three years. It'll be three years. Um, And if no return is filed, there's no statute of limitations. So if you didn't file a return in 1970, they can still audit you for it. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's no statute of limitations on when you never filed a return. Okay, so the lesson here is file your return, Mm -hmm. keep all your receipts, digitally preferably, make a journal or a calendar or write on the receipt what it was for. Mm -hmm. See, I look at it this way, and I tell my clients this. 
they're going to not have all the receipts. And you know something, in today's world, you're not going to have every receipt. It's almost impossible. You have to try to get them, but we all know it, you're just not going to have every single receipt. Do the best that you can. And for all the tax years that you file that you don't have all the receipts or you try to make some receipts up or you just don't have all the or you don't keep records and you get away with it, that's fine. But it's the old story, you know, how many red lights do you go through until you finally get caught on that one red light and right. you get the ticket? Yes. So it's really not worth it. You got you have to go that extra mile to keep those receipts because you'll never know when, when you're going to need them. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. If an auditor sees that you have made a legitimate effort to mm -hmm. keep your documentation, I would think that would go pretty far in allowing them to give you some leniency. Exactly. In other words, if you have most receipts and there's a few of them that you're missing, but you can kind of prove that these are your expenses, they, they usually will be lenient with you. And then there's the cases where, where things happen where you don't have receipts and you got to kind of build back what you had. For example, let's say you had a fire in your office and your receipt burned. Or let's say somebody broke into your office and they stole your computer, which had a copy of all your receipts, and you don't have them. What do, what do you do? Well, you explain to them what happened you had a fire and show them the documentation show them you got broken into your computers were stolen show them the documentation and try to rebuild the best that you can bank statements credit card statements they will probably accept something like that because you can't have to get the receipts because they don't exist anymore under those kind of circumstances so this is where I would think it'd be important to have a cloud-based backup system, you know, download them to a Google Drive or OneDrive, one of those that yeah. are cloud-based, so that even if your computer gets stolen or burns in a fire, you still have access to your documents. Okay. That's a whole other subject kind of outside the world of, of accounting and bookkeeping, but we're still <laughs> aware of it, and we all need to know that. But, oh, yes, IT security. I would, I would I recommend my clients have cloud plus off-site storage as well. And what they can do every week, every day, every month, whatever, download to a, a separate hard drive or, or, or portable hard drive, store that outside their office, store that at home, safe deposit box, one of the key employees' homes. So I recommend cloud and off-site storage as well, besides their computer. Mm, that's good. That's even more protection. Yeah. There's, so you, know, you, you never know I these mean, days. What I can just happen. tell people you can't have, in my opinion, too much documentation. It's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. You are preaching to the choir. <laughs> Bingo! Yes, all the accountants get it. Yes, yes. And you know, business people—they're not—they don't care about that. They don't know about it. They don't want to deal with it. They're so busy running their business. Right. They don't, you know, restaurant receipts, receipts for you know, you get office supplies. They don't really care about this stuff. They're so busy running their business. But yes, it is very, very important. Well, I'm sure anyone that's <clears throat> been through an audit and has had a situation where the IRS won't accept deductions because the receipt isn't there yeah. would tell other business owners, one one receipt can cost you so much money if yeah. you don't keep it. Just one piece of documentation that if they had it, they yeah. could have taken the deduction. I once had in an audit, there was a 400 and something dollar expense at Staples. For supplies, paper, um, uh, toner, uh, things like that. And we didn't have the receipt, but it was on the bank statement. They did not accept it because the IRS auditor said, how do I know that's not something personal? So you, you, you got to have those receipts. Mm. You got to have those receipts. Yes, I agree completely. So as you said, preaching business to the owners choir. out there, keep <laughs> those receipts. Even yes. if it's a matter of just taking them, putting them into an envelope and storing them somewhere, have those receipts. Yes. 
something um, just hits my soul when I see someone crumble up a receipt. <laughs> oh, oh, you're, you're, you're making me teary now. Please. I'm tearing up. <laughs> you want to see all the accountants tear up, start burning receipts. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. You're killing me now. You're killing me. But I think that's in large part because you have actually seen the the tangible consequences of yeah. not doing that. When you sit across the desk from an IRS auditor and they're asking you questions and asking for things that you can't back up, it's very difficult. Yes. Very, very difficult. Yes. I can imagine, especially if you weren't the one doing the return. I'm sure you've had those situations where you're yeah. having to substantiate someone else's work. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting because accountants make year-end entries onto a set of books. And unless the bookkeeper is no is told what those entries are, the books from one year won't agree to the books the way they should be the next year. So when you're a new accountant taking over a company and you don't have those entries that tie one year into the next, it could be an absolute nightmare. Yes. Oh, I know. We we get to unravel all of those yes. messes. It's so much that's, fun. That's forensic <laughs> forensic accounting right there. You got it. All right. So one big piece of advice that you could have is a takeaway for business owners out there. If you could just give them one thing to okay. take away. One thing is, well, one thing, one very large thing is this. When you start a business, speak with a tax advisor. Mm. Ask them what the best um, organization method is for your business, whether it's sole proprietorship, a corporation, a partnership. That's one of the things. And ask them what's the best way to keep their books, keep records of all their expenses, meals, entertainment, business assets. How? What is the best way? What is the best accounting software to use? Speak with a tax advisor when you're setting things up so you get it set up the right way and move forward doing it the right way. And if you have questions, don't be afraid to call and ask. I mean, I'm always open when clients ask me questions as opposed to the year end getting these huge surprises when they've done things very wrong and then have to go back and try to fix it. Right. And work with a quality bookkeeper. I cannot That's right. tell you. <laughs> I cannot tell you it saves them so much time and effort and it will eventually save them money because everything is documented correctly and properly. They have to pay me less to prepare their returns. Yes. And they're able to get all of the write-offs that they need because they have everything documented. Yes. yes. Work with a quality bookkeeper. So I'm sure you're happy to help clients that might be in need of a good tax advisor. If if yes. they'd like to get in touch with you, how can people reach you? I am so glad you asked. Okay. You can get in touch with me a few different ways. Okay. My phone number is Area code 214. Do people say area code anymore these days? They just, go, they just say it. You I don't know? even think it's an area code anymore because so many people keep their cell phone no right. matter where they live. So it's all blurred now. I don't yeah, even think yeah. you can say it's an area code these days. Yeah. Two one, my number is 214-244-2535. My uh, email is, I'll say it, then I'll spell it, rgrala, R-G-R-A-L-L-A, at robertgrala.com. And my website is www.robertgrala.com. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been very you're, informative. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. And I enjoyed this very much as well. And of course, if anyone has any bookkeeping needs, we are happy to help at Sakline. And you can find us at Sakline.com, S-A-K-L-I-N-E.com, honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time. This is Lindsay Klein the president of Secline and the host of By the Books. Until next time, have a great week, everyone. By the Books is presented by Secline. Honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time. 
For more information on Secline services or to get a hold of Lindsay, visit Secline.com or email info at Secline.com. The information provided on this website and podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general information purposes only. Information provided by Secline may not constitute the most up-to-date legal or other information. Listeners should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter and should refrain from acting on the basis of this information without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information contained herein and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation.